They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two Bald Pastors. Welcome to Two Bald Pastors, a podcast about real faith and real life. I'm Jeff Sinabaldo. And I'm Joe McGarry. And we are two follically challenged pastors serving in congregations of the New England Synod and the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, or as we like to call it, the ELCA. Today we have a special guest with us, uh, one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, my good friend, Brian Scott. Welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Glad to have you here. Uh, Brian and I went to seminary together and we have been friends for, what, about 18 years? Does that sound about close? Something back to camp. So, yeah, it'd be at least 18 years, 17, 18 years. Yep. Yeah, we were looking at pictures last night of us in younger days when we had hair, were thinner, and looked a lot younger. It was uh, it was striking. I, I still do have hair. Well, yes. Lucky some of you. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to brag. I'm just saying I still have. You do still have hair, yes, yes. Some yes. hair on top of my head. Right. Anyway, uh, <laughs> now that we all feel bad about that, it's time to uh, talk with Brian. Brian is uh, an author. He just wrote a book called That Day Great and Terrible. It's been out. Uh, when did it come out? November 3rd. November 3rd. That's right. We were together in South Carolina when you went live with it. Yes. So it's been out for a few months. It is uh, a novel. It is kind of an interesting book because it is a... Uh, apocalyptic look, which is not uh, something that's really normal in, I would say, Lutheran circles. It's something we normally have a conversation sure. about, but that is mm -hmm. the backdrop uh, of the setting and uh, where the story takes place. Uh, you want to just share just a little bit about it? Sure. Actually, it should be an easier question than it is. It is an apocalyptic book. It's got a twisting, turning plot, so it's always been hard for me to just sum up in a couple you know, the elevator speech, I don't really have that because of just the nature of the book. But it is, it's, it's four point of view characters, different ages. There's a you know, middle-aged mom and there's a teenage girl and there's a younger teenage boy and then there's this uh, college-age boy. These four different characters in a small town as the world is collapsing around them is basically what's going on. And it, it's, yeah, it's apocalyptic. It, it kind of started with the idea of the Left Behind books, which kind of understanding... What I assume your audience is, I think we all have a, a major skepticism about the, the theology of those books. And so it, it was partly a response that kind of took its whole life of its own. But that's sort of where some of that idea started is just what are we really saying when we're saying God's going to rapture people? What does that actually look like? So that's that's kind of where the book goes. Yeah, I, uh, I read it when it was still kind of in its draft phase. You sure did. And uh, for me, I really enjoyed the book. I enjoyed the characters very much. For me, what the book was about is uh, people finding faith when religion collapses. Uh, mm -hmm. And it was just... You can use that. I'm glad I have it. <laughs> Write that down. Good. <laughs> and, uh, and I liked it. I mean, I know um, a lot of people have had interesting takes on it. Uh, Particularly, I would say, people that are used to that kind of rapture theology or kind of a more conservative Christian evangelical take on not just life, but the end of all things and Jesus coming back and judging and separating the wicked and the righteous and all that kind of stuff. 
as Lutheran Christians, we don't do a lot of that. We kind of live more in the moment and the incarnation, I think. You want to just share some of the reactions of people from of that uh, band? And I don't mean to paint them in a dark corner or put them against the wall or speak for people either, but I think that is a perspective, and I think you're trying to engage that perspective a little bit. I enjoy the conservative viewpoint. I like being around people, even though I, I'm fairly moderately left politically, but also even theologically maybe. So I have a lot of friends who are are much more conservative in their theology, and it was the people who are more conservative in their theology that didn't just... Some people did like the book. We should probably say that first. Yeah. There are people actually <laughs> really enjoyed it. But then there was this whole crew, especially when it first came out, and I think they were expecting something different. They were expecting maybe, you know, the those nice Amish love stories where they have the bonnets in the front cover and you read it through. And I guess I've never actually read the books, but I'm assuming that everything works out in the end and everybody's happy and it's this, this you know, soft focus kind of Christian book or any kind of Christian music. It has the same, you know, clapping, happy, everything is wonderful kind of perspective. And my book isn't. It, it's a very, it's a darker book. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll say first, I, I don't know if we mentioned this yet. I, I am, I suppose, still technically ELCA clergy. I'm still on the roster. I was a pastor for about 12 years uh, in South Minneapolis and where I am right now in Red Wing. And I, I think I was fairly good at it, but there was something about that calling that that didn't, didn't work for me. It was uh, kind of suffocating. And part of this book came out of that experience. And I think I think what people are reacting to in a negative way is my book isn't really about God. It's not about the character of God at all. It is about human beings who are Christians who are trying to figure out what to do when they do believe in God and they love God and they love Jesus, all of it, but none of it makes sense for a while. When you have, And I think we all have experienced that those periods of times where we just, you just don't know. You don't know what, what God is up to. It just seems like it's random, like God is, as, is not acting in any way that, that you can wrap your minds around. So at the heart of the book, really from beginning to end, it's about what does it mean to be a Christian in those times of life when you just, you just don't know. You just don't get it. You don't get what God is up to. And it never comes around. And I think that the people who, who really reacted strongly, like I had one lovely lady, and I've told this story many times now, but she, is, she was very respectful as we talked. Uh, she's a, a dear uh, mother of a friend of mine. I saw her outside of the coffee shop in downtown Red Wing, and we were talking. She had read the book right away, um, and she was confused about it at first. She was just kind of asking questions like, who is this book for? And then in the middle of the conversation, she said, well, to be honest, my first response after finishing it was to burn it. And then I don't really remember the conversation from that point on. I, I mean, then I just sort of, wow, that, that, that people had that strong of a negative reaction to this. And I think what it is, is they, they wanted the bowl at the end. They wanted my characters to go through this tough time where they don't really understand what God is up to. And then in the end, have it all work out. But then God kind of swoops in and, and makes sense of it. But that that wasn't where I was when I wrote it, and that I just that doesn't happen sometimes. Mm, right. And I think there is a hopeful ending. I think there are characters who have this even a conversion experience, but it 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 never really. My book doesn't I know, doesn't redeem God. Not that God needs our redemption, but sometimes you feel that way. You feel like you need to argue for God. And my book doesn't do that. Instead, it kind of wallows the valley of the shadow of death. It just kind of, it, it sits in that space. And there's, again, I, I do think at the end, there's some light that comes in and it gets better, but 
it isn't the nice, happy bow that I think people want or some people want. Other people have they've seen what I was doing and they really respond to it in a positive way. But then there, yeah, there's a certain section and it it does seem to be from a certain theological perspective that has has reacted that way to this book. So you started this book after you left pastoral ministry? I started it I've, I read it over I wrote it over three different periods of time. All of them were pretty challenging. The first one I was I started my ministry in Red Wing, Minnesota here. I was associate pastor for 4 years and then I went up to Hope Lutheran Church in South Minneapolis for 4 years. And that was as a solo slash senior pastor for those four years. Part of the book, too, is about certainty and how one of my characters is just so certain when the book starts. And then by the end of the book, a lot of that certainty just kind of collapses. And part of that is what happened to me. I, I went to Hope, and I was so certain about my calling. And actually, I remember we went up to uh, the Boundary Waters. Yep. That It was cold, super cold day, that cold weekend. Minus 20 air temperature. Oh, man, it was awful. Um, but it was me and you and a few others. We just had some deep conversation about what we want to do in 30 years. And it was right at the beginning of that time. And I was so convinced what I'm going to be doing in 30 years is being a parish pastor because that is what I'm called to do. Never been more convinced about anything in my life. Three years later, I am just feeling the suffocation. Like, I, I can't do this one more week. And that was when I started the book. And then I changed calls. I came back to, to Red Wing and things were, you know, just busier and different for a while. And so that always kind of changes your perspective, put the book away for a while. And then I had cancer. I had to get surgery for it and then radiation for it. And then I went through chemotherapy for three months and it was, he was bald then. He looked I was good. bald then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were, yeah. You were looking pretty sharp. All over. I mean, I didn't even yeah. have eyebrows for yeah. a while. There yeah. was, it was something special. <laughs> it was all, it was the kind of chemo, you know, where, where you had, I remember I tried to go make toast and I'd put the bread in and I'd push the button down and I couldn't stand long enough to wait for the, the toast to come back up. I had to go lie down. So, it's, wow. you know, it, it, was, it was a pretty serious thing. So I get through with that. And so my, you know, my body broke down and I'm exhausted and I'm sick. And that's when I wrote the rest of the book. And then the third time, then I kind of put it aside for a little while. I realized that that ministry, for whatever reason, I just don't have the right personality for it. Um, I just suffocate. That's the best word. Of, I just can't feel like I can breathe. So finally, I had to leave ministry. So I left ministry two years ago, and then it took about another year after leaving ministry to, to kind of take that rough, rough copy and make it into a book. So those were the three periods of my life when I wrote it. So yeah, it's, it's dark. <laughs> there's a darkness to there. I think there's a, I think there's a sense of humor and a, a sense of hope in it. Would you say it's kind of a Job story? I mean, I know the way Job kind of ends, it feels like it kind of ties up at the end. But the real story of Job is Job's suffering and his friends are trying to tell him, you know, what he's done wrong or why God is doing what he's doing. But God kind of, or Job kind of holds his ground in the middle of like, no, I don't think so, but I don't know. I don't have an answer either. <laughs> yeah, I, I would like, I mean, it, I don't want to be too, I don't know, pretentious about it to say, yeah, it's just like Job. But I do think it it does draw on some of the biblical traditions, or Ecclesiastes too. Yeah, is another the, book that yeah. just kind of wallows in the what questions. Are we, what are we doing? Yeah, right. And I do think that, yeah, on a certain level, um, it does have that. It doesn't. Again, Job has that happy ending that was kind of tacked on in the end, um, where suddenly Job has twice as many kids because that, <laughs> that helps. <laughs> anyway, so my book doesn't do that, but yeah, the idea of just that that dark place where you're on the ash heap and you're trying to figure out what what's this all about yeah 
Yeah. Who's the book for? I mean, I know it's a, mm. it's a little bit of a self-expression, right? Cause you've, it's, it's tracking your journey in a lot of ways. Right. I mean, sometimes we write things for ourselves. Sometimes we write sermons for ourselves, even though we present them to a group. I mean, outside of that kind of uh, conversation, who would, uh, who would benefit from? It's a good question, Jeff. We were joking earlier. Uh, Jeff is actually at my house and we we're joking earlier about how just a bad salesman I am. I am not, and the, part of it is, I think, because this book is mostly for me. It is, a, you know, art in the sense that it is me expressing something difficult that happened in my life in a in a way that hopefully is entertaining. But it's also, it's also just trying to get at something that's hard to put into words. You put it into, you know, eighty thousand words, I guess. So what I'm what I'm trying to say is, I didn't really think of like a. An audience, yeah. as it was being prepared. Even now, I, the people who have seemed to uh, respond to it, I get, I, they're, that's a good question. I mean, they, it's different. It's kind of a, a wide variety of people. Maybe it's people who have have experienced some of that that ache. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they 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 love Jesus. They love the church. They believe in in God and and in the whole Christian message, the gospel. But on some somewhere along their journey, they hit this this speed bump, this snag, and they've asked those questions. And so little of our Christian art right now is willing to ask those questions. It's just you know just this big, perfect teeth smile of Joel Osteen staring at you, where if you're just faithful enough, God will bless you. Well, that that just doesn't happen sometimes. So I think anybody who's who's struggled with that, and also I do think it's a good fun read. I mean, it doesn't. This is where I'm not a salesman. I don't think I really sell that part very well. But I do think, you know, you pick it up. It is kind of a ride. It's it's uh, an easy read. It's fast-paced. It doesn't get bogged down too much. So people who like reading, people so, who like books. So for yeah. readers and book lovers, yes. your book would fit them Someone, well. Yeah, a person who enjoys books would like it. <laughs> you, f- you finished this first book. Do you have plans to continue on and write some more? And if so, is is it along the same theme or do you have different things that you want to explore in your writing? What what are some of the directions that you want to go in? Uh, the next book I'm writing right now, hopefully out this summer, although this book I always said, hopefully like in a month or two and it took about a year. Um, so I'm not, don't hold me to that, but hopefully out this summer, this, this book, it was really hard. I, now I've had enough people who have enjoyed it and have told me like Clint Schneckloth, very nice uh, blog posting that just came out yesterday. That was, you know, things like that have happened, especially the last couple of weeks. I've had a lot of people give me positive feedback on it. But those first month or two, man, it seemed like everybody who read it just did not care for it. So part of that, I'll be honest, was uh, informed by that. So as I'm writing the second book, I, I kind of just almost intentionally just needed to, to stay away from theology. To not, uh, so there's not, it is actually set in a church. Uh, it's like a murder mystery, I guess. It's a little bit more complicated than that, but that's the basic heart of it. It should be a little bit more fun and just less people wanting to burn it. I think there's <laughs> less of that, I hope, and we'll find out. But So yeah, anyway, so I'm going away from, from this. Eventually, I'll come back, and there will probably be, well, not probably, almost certainly there'll be a sequel to this book, and we'll kind of go back in the same world and some of the same themes. There'll probably be my project after that, so maybe 2000. 17, some of that was, is hopefully the idea. It sounds like you've had a number of transitions in your life from one call to another call, going back to another call, and then eventually leaving pastoral ministry. 
Uh, can you talk a little bit about transitions and, and how you've kind of dealt with transitions and some of the highs and lows of transitions uh, that you've experienced, especially from leading a church to joining a church? That is, that's something, actually. That's a good question. Going from being a pastor to no longer being a pastor is, it's its not easy. And I, I have a lot more compassion for our retired pastors who have a hard time letting go. I mean, we some of us have, have struggled with that, of pastors who, who can't seem to to get out of the way. When you are a pastor, there's a lot of downside to it. You know, there's a lot of stress and, you know, there's this external force of, of loss and pain just around. I mean, every church doesn't matter. Um, we're, we're not in a, a growth time of church. It's a bull market. We're in a bear market. Yeah, right. Yeah. Anyways, that, that causes a lot of this external force, external pressure. So it, it's a hard job is what I'm trying to say. But one of the things, one of the benefits about being a pastor at least in my experience, I think most others, is you get this feedback loop from people about how special you are. I mean, there's a certain, even, even though the, we're not as, as looked as, as positive as we were like 50 years ago, still, people will look at pastors and you are a man of God or a woman of God. There's something special about you, something more holy. I remember my, my sister-in-law, we were in a airplane once not that many years ago and we hit some turbulence and it she's a nervous flyer so am I actually but anyway she's a nervous flyer and she turned to me and she said she was glad that I was on the plane with her because somehow my being a pastor made her feel safer there's almost like that talisman effect and pastors kind of have that we have a for better or worse people raise us up onto a pedestal and you kind of get that feedback loop of how special and and important you are because you are you know you represent God in the world well, so when you leave that, suddenly you don't get that feedback loop anymore. And they, it's kind of like you, they shut off that valve and you don't constantly hear how, you know, what a wonderful, special person you are. And that is, that's a challenge. It's more challenging. You don't necessarily think about that when you're going through it because you're, you know, you're swimming in it. But when you step out and suddenly you're just an ordinary guy, yeah, it was hard. It was harder than <coughs> I expected. Just those feelings of I'm not Pastor Brian anymore. I'm just I'm just some guy. I don't I can't stand up in front of 300 people and tell them what I think about God. Right. I, I can, but nobody's going to listen to you listen. anymore. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that was that is something. It's it's it, it was just it was more challenging than I expected, and especially that particular transition going. And also, you know, when you're when you're 39 years old. And you're leaving a very steady, normal, regular job to start a publishing company and write books. There's certain uh, stigmas to that about what that looks like, and and there's a certain that, that's it, it was a journey that you really had to come through, and it's and it took me a while to own that. In fact, the first three months as I was going through it, I kind of told people, oh, "I'm just going to figure it out. I don't really know what I'm going to do," but that I knew exactly what I was going to do. I just didn't want to say, "Yeah, I'm going to go write books and try to publish other people's books," because there's something I don't know. This is something about, of course, I'm also, I don't like to share with people. I like to, like, I don't like to tell my kids what I'm making for dinner. <laughs> Surprise. <That's> private. <laughs> you know, you, you'll find out. You don't need to hear about that. Just show up. And yeah, you'll find it. Why do you need to know? This is personal information about what you're going to have for dinner in an hour. So part of that is just my personality, liking to kind of protect my own little bubble. But part of that too is just, that's, that's, a, that's an awkward transition to make. And I, I talked about this on Sunday, uh, just to 
a group of people at my church that I attend right now. And there's an, a retired pastor there, and there is still, and I think there's a fairness to it, but he challenged me in, and maybe I should have just stuck it out. You know, that, and I, you know, he's 80 years old, and so there is a certain greatest generation that are a little bit better about that kind of stuff than we were, are. But, it, but I, I, I'm not sure what I'm saying with that, except just that it is making those transitions out of it. There's a lot of places for criticism that I think is, is often fair, and it just makes, it makes it harder when you get that external criticism. I just want to go back to the uh, thing you said about the talisman effect. To me, that is the hardest part of ministry. I, it's, it's the thing about ministry I, I hate, actually. I hate that I'm the guy in the special robe or wears the special shirt, which is one of the reasons I don't wear the special shirt. For me, the question always is, are we a church or are we like the Jeff Sinabaldo show? And I don't want to be the Jeff Sinabaldo show. Now, granted, I'm on a podcast right now with a friend, uh, and we have a show, and, uh, you know, I do enough online, and Joe does enough online, and you do too, Brian, uh, where you, you are a voice that's out there. But for me, I'm always trying to say, well, what are we doing or what's God up to with us? And it's trying to separate that out from, oh, you're the pastor, and then everybody goes, ha ah! yeah, well, Although, I mean, I guess it's, hard. it's one of those things where you are also in the water. Right, 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 yeah. right. If yeah. suddenly you take that away, I, and I, because I, I was the same way. It's not like I enjoyed in the moment. I mean, part of it is the frustration of, you know, five people need to be visited. I, first Lutheran church where I finally left, part of the thing was it was just a very high maintenance church um, as far as older and people need a lot of visits and a lot of people, I mean, there's a lot of funerals all the time. And so the question is, why, why, what is, what is special about me doing this visit? Why do right. I need to do this visit yeah, when absolutely. I've got a thousand other things to do that are very important for the ministry? And why can't Margaret do the visit, who frankly is much nicer person than I am? She she likes people more than I do. She's more pastoral than I am. She just isn't an ordained minister. What what really is there anything special about me? And the only thing that's special about me is that you know I wear the collar and I wear the stole and I went to seminary. I mean, I, I had a bunch right. of. Yeah, people lay their hands on me at some point. Yep, yeah. which is uh, ordination. I don't want to mean downplay ordination. That is an important thing, but still, yeah. Part of it is the people's expectations, right? You know, people expect the pastor to be the one to make the visits, and they feel comforted when the pastor does it. And and whether it's whether it's us as individuals, whether it's our personality, or whether it's just the title that we hold or the office that we hold, it is uh, something that is important to people, and. For better or worse, that's that's the the reality that we live in. But I think the the new reality that we're living into is our churches are getting smaller and smaller, and we see you know a n- numerous bishops, including the, our bishop in New England, giving us reports saying there are only this many graduates and there are this many openings in our congregations in the ELCA around the country, and we're gonna need more and more people. To, who are perhaps not ordained to step up and do the pastoral care of churches or these smaller churches are going to have to close. That's a, that's a difficult thing, and that's a, a new reality to say, okay, what does it mean then to be ordained, and what does it mean then to hold the title of, of pastor, or is the position of pastor as we know it in the ELCA now no longer going to exist, or was it, what is it going to look like? For me, part of it, I think just the last... Uh, the post-war period until now 
is just an exceptional time where we had a huge boom we and we took it as normal mm-hmm. and we're we're in a new reality and we're still trying to live in that normal that doesn't exist and we wonder why things don't work i mean ultimately all i mean that and that goes with everything i mean that's sunday school that's evangelism efforts that's starting new churches that's keeping budgets going it's renovating buildings it's, everything yeah it's yeah. It, it, you know people going to seminary you know all of that stuff i think it's all interrelated to uh, a deeper seismic shift sociologically that isn't about success or failure but just kind of this bubble of it's one snapshot of a wider picture but we've taken that one snapshot to to be the constant yeah yeah i think you're speaking to something because i I should say, I really love what I'm doing now. I think that I, I've stumbled into something that really works for me, that, I am, that I'm loving, that I'm passionate about. I think I'm good at it. But the ache for me of being a pastor is I feel like I could have continued to be a pastor, but there's the expectations that the church has is a very narrow mold, it seems to me. And there isn't a lot of space to do that in a different way. And for me, being just my own personality and the things there's certain expectations that were pushed on me that just, just did not work. And I, I, and you know, I think some people have a better imaginations than I do for this kind of thing. I just could not imagine my way out of it. I could not imagine what it would look like in the ELC Lutheran church to be the kind of pastor I could be now at Cornerstone community church here in town. One of my good friends, the book is actually dedicated to him. At his church, it's non-denominational, and they've got a different system, but he is able to really say, and he's been there for 20-some years, and so that helps too, but he's able to say, these are my gifts, this is what I'm good at, these are the things I'm not good at, that's all there is to it. But And he was just able to say, no, I, there's other people who can do that better. And so regardless of what the thing is that people can say to, it doesn't seem like, it just seems like in the ELCA we have this very strict job description that doesn't need to be the case. Is that, am I making sense? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, there's certainly colleagues of ours that are awesome at this kind of stuff. And they're, I mean, that's the center of their ministry is caring yeah. for people and doing that. And, but maybe, maybe something else is not their passion. Maybe they're not teachers or maybe they're not administrators or maybe they're not um, evangelists. And, but which goes back to my point earlier, but we're the church, right? I mean, yeah. we kind of know what a church is supposed to be about, kind of all of those things together, but all of us have parts of it to share or to, to add to or contribute. Three years ago, when I was going through this real ache about being a pastor, it seemed like everybody around me was struggling too. For a while there, I, I thought that every single pastor was feeling the way I am. I think, looking back on a lot of it's mirroring, I'm going through this terrible ache. I'm talking to people about it. And then good friends of mine are saying, yes, I feel the same way. So I, I, don't, I don't think it's quite as bad as I would have if you asked me three years ago. But I do think that there's a, I don't know, I, I feel like a lot of the clergy I still talk to are feeling this ache about their calling that seems different than other careers that I, of people I talk to. It just seems like there's a, a pain there. And maybe it's expectations versus reality, or maybe it's just the loss that is continuing happening in our society. I just think it's a tough job. Is at the end of the day, what I'm trying to say is, it's tough. God bless you guys. It's Oof. tough. Yeah, you are in an, an author, a, a writer, uh, and I'm sure there are many books that live inside of folks. Can you talk a little bit about starting the writing process? How do you start writing a book? What are some of the 
tips that you can give us to to someone who may have this book that's living inside of them, but they don't really know how to get it out? Uh, what are some of the advice you can give? We all have that, that voice inside our head that is very critical of what we're doing. But when you start writing, even from that very first word in the page, there's something inside of you that is saying, no, this is hacky, this is dumb, this is worthless. Other people have done this and done it better. Um, nobody will ever want to read this. All those kind of phrases just keep pounding in your head as you just try to write, as you try to fill that page with words. And I think the hardest, biggest thing for everybody is turning off that, that internal critic, uh, shutting that thing down so that you can actually put words in the page. And to do that, everybody has different tricks or different ways of doing it. Uh, Jeff, you were talking just earlier about somebody who says you should, don't even try writing, just get a tape recorder. Well, not tape recorder anymore, but a, a recorder and just speak it. And that's one way for me. It's as soon as I sit down to write, I just keep reminding myself that this is only for me. That whatever this garbage is I'm about to put out there, nobody else is ever going to read this. So don't worry about it. It is going to be bad. I mean, just acknowledging that everything I'm going to do on this blank page for the next 20 minutes is going to be awful. It's going to suck. But just do it. Why not? And then I go back and then you kind of do apply that critic to those words to make them better. But it's that first filling the page that is the hardest thing. And so whatever, you just have to fight, fight that. And you have to acknowledge that everything you're going to do is going to be bad until you make it good. But you have to allow it to be bad. I think that's the first thing. And then the second thing is just time. I mean, it, it's just finding the time to do it. Did you have like, a, you know, from seven to nine this morning, I'm going to write four pages. Did you do anything like that? Or I, I've heard authors talk that way before of you just got to write every day and keep at it. Or what was your process? Uh, when I, well, like right now I'm in the middle of a book. I'm not as strict about that. I start at usually when the kids leave eight o'clock, nine o'clock, somewhere in there, I start and I keep going until six o'clock or seven o'clock at night. But I don't just sit in a room writing for whatever that is, 10 hours. I'll sit down, it'll be about 20 minutes of writing, and then I'll go off and do something else, and I'll come back and sit down. So the the real hard part is just the sitting down. And I, I don't really have a, a, a discipline for that. I, it just, I just do it, I guess. I mean, it's the kind of, there is that drive, you know, this is, part of it is choosing this as a vocation. And so as soon as you do that, you, you have to. I mean, if you're going to say, I'm going to do this as for a living, then then there's a, a certain inner conviction that happens. I think when you say, I'm doing it as a hobby, then it's much easier to say, well, I'll do it tomorrow. So I think just even just saying that, making that claim two years ago when I left the ministry to say, this is what I'm going to do is I'm going to write books for better or worse. That was the discipline that I needed to actually write the books. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you've also started a publishing company. You want to talk a little bit about that or projects you're interested in producing or ways you're connecting with folks? Yeah, I sure do, Jeff. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah it's called Nine Foot Voice. People always ask what the name means. It, it Actually, my friend, well, his name is Brett Peterson. He's in Chile right now. He, he and I were talking about this. At, towards the end of my time in ministry, I had like a thousand different ideas of things that I thought would be really kind of cool and fun to do. None of them were all that serious. That was where Worship Bus came in, which 
Brilliant idea. Next time you guys have a podcast, we can come and just talk worship bus for two hours. <laughs> worship bus. Worship, worship bus. bus. Oh, no. man. Anyway, in the middle of that time, he we had this idea for like doing a, a small theater company in Red Wing. It was just, uh, again, just kind of throwing out ideas. And he wrote down Nine Foot Voice on a piece of paper and he gave it to me as just the name for just he liked the sound of it. So obviously we didn't do the theater company. We didn't do worship bus. We didn't do the other 5,000 things that we just were idea, uh, dreaming about. But I did like that name. So anyway, the publishing company is called Nine Foot Voice. All it's published so far is my own book. Um, but I am, you know, I put it out on the EOCA clergy page. I put it out on the website and my own Facebook page, some other places. And I have gotten some submissions. And, you know, they've all been good in different ways. Some of them are, are more for, like, children's books. And I, you know, I've had to narrow down. I, I can't do children's books because that you need you need an illustrator, and that's just a whole different world. But there is, right now, I've, I'm hoping to get my friends to write. That's I keep working on people like Jeff and some other buddies that that would have excellent books in them if, you know, if they're able to have the time to do it. Um, and then I do have one person uh, right now who, you know, he's going to send me some more stuff. I'm hoping that that stuff works out. And that's a stranger that just came from, he's a clergy person. And so we'll see. And I'm hoping other people send me stuff. And I, I really would like to publish my own stuff, but I'd love to start publishing other people's. I would love to have, you know, five books out a year would be about ideal. One of my own, four of other people's, do that for 20 years and call it a day and call it. Yeah. And retire. That's, <laughs> that's my life's plan right now. I actually know that I'd be 60, probably do it for 20, 30 years. Part of what we are doing on this podcast is talking about real faith and, and real life and how the two intersect. And, and we know that faith can be uh, a difficult thing, but also can be a, a joyous thing. So part of what you have talked about, part of what your, your book is all about is, those times of, of faith and really searching deep within ourselves to figure out our connection with God and, and where God is at. So um, can you just tell us one more time a little bit about what people will kind of get out of your book after they purchase it and read it? It's the same as anything. It's the theology of the cross. It's it's understanding the shadow of, of this world that we live in. And there is the promise this isn't an atheistic book. There is a belief in God in this book, and there's belief in the grace of God in this book. And I know it is hidden in the shadows, and it is hidden in the darkness, but there is some real authentic or honest, there's some truth in the fact, if you're looking for God, the best place to find God is in the shadows. That's where God is. Uh, I mean, you know, God is the light of the world, but it's in the shadow of the cross that, that he's most fully revealed. And there's a, there's a paradox there that Lutherans are really comfortable with, the paradox of you know the, the God of light and love actually dying on a cross, and how is that even possible? But I, I, I think that's the, the crux of it. And so anybody who's, who's really, who feels that way, who, who watches Joel Osteen, or even the, the late day Rob Bell stuff, I know we were talking about that, he just seems a little bit too... Happy. And not that we shouldn't be joyful as Christians, but there's a certain greediness to our faith. There's a there's the cross, there's the shadow, there's the ache, there's the hurt. But in that there is also life. There is Jesus. And I do I do believe that the, the book does proclaim Christ in the darkness. Amen. Amen. When when folks read it and they they go into that dark space and they read it and say may think to themselves, Well, I'm not alone in this. You know, there's someone else out there who has experienced this, 
who has felt this and someone that I could relate to and, and know perhaps that since I'm not alone, I'm, I'm not an alien, I'm not a stranger in this space, and that even though I'm feeling this way, there's, there's light at the, end, at the end, and that's the light found in, in God. Yeah, I'd like to think so. I mean, I think that's the whole idea of, of reading is you, it's empathy. It's the, when you read somebody else's experience, there's this deep connection that you have with the author about just you're, you're seeing you're not the only one. It's, uh, you know, you have that, that conversation with, with the writer that, yeah, it, it's a powerful thing. Just even without the gospel, which I believe is in there, without the light of, of Christ, which I believe is in the book, yeah, just describing ache and reading it can be helpful. Oh, helpful. Yeah, it's it's giving words to another to that. human being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I would say for me, it, it that's what the incarnation is all about. It's it's God suffering in the world with us, not just uh, for us in the way that we usually express it, but it's it's God meeting us there. I mean, it's it's the crosses we're bearing, and Jesus is there too. And there's there's something to that that's uh, well we don't talk about that a lot quite honestly because right. we we like we like Easter we like it to be happy we want the the bow as you described early um, we want it to all we want the happy ending and we want to burn the things that don't end up there. Right. <laughs> I mean, in the whole gospel story, we do get the happy ending, but there's that already not yet quality to it yeah. where we're not. You know, it's Sunday's coming, but Sunday's not here yet. To- but even in the happy ending of Scripture, it's it's a it's a starting off point for where right. the real struggle starts. Oh yeah, you know, it's East, Easter's the kickoff event to the struggle of what it means to be faithful in the world. That's and true. the disciples not just suddenly throw a lifelong party; they struggled for the rest of their lives. That's true. Right. Well, Brian, thanks so much for being with us here today. We uh, really appreciate your insights and uh, your work, and uh, for for just hanging with us for a while. It's been great. Yeah, I loved it. This is really fun. It was nice to talk with you a little bit more, Brian, and get to know you and hear a little bit more about uh, your book. And I look forward to uh, reading more of it in the near future. You want to tell us where people can uh, connect with you online if they want to get oh, in touch sure. with you? Well, Facebook is always good. I've got a Facebook page, and that's the Brian's Got Books. Brian'sGotBooks.com is another website I have, as well as Nine Foot Voice with a nine, number nine. Ninefootvoice.com. Those are kind of the three main ones. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening to another Two Bald Pastors podcast. We thank Brian for joining us today. If you want to get a hold of him, uh, like he said, find him on Facebook. If you want to get a hold of us, we are also on Facebook, facebook.com backslash Two Bald Pastors or twobaldpastors.com. Again, my name is Joe McGarry. And I'm Jeff Sinabaldo. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a Fantastic day. Take care. Be blessed. Bye. They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two bald pastors. Of the New England Synod and the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. I should do that over because I said it backwards. (laughs) (laughs) See, now this was live. Think of how exciting that would be for the listener. Yeah, they would they would find it fascinating. Yeah, they, they'd they'd the, turn their they, dial right up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stop their car and now just... We're gonna, now we're going to take <laughs> calls from uh, the audience. And, yeah. <laughs> I don't really mean to pick on Joel Osteen, but...